So I know you told me that you met Jerry at work. Do you remember the first time you saw him? Oh, that's so funny. Yeah. Actually, it was in July. This is Lucy Peckett, and the Jerry we're talking about was her common-law husband, who died six years ago. Lucy used to work at a printing factory in Ontario in Canada. Every July, the employees would have a company-wide water fight. It was serious business. That morning, I could see, I could read the guy's lips. Like, I've got balloons in the car. We're going to throw... I'm there. Oh, really? Oh, those guys are going to get us, you know? I said, no way. So I asked a girl, let's go to Toys R Us. I'm going to get the biggest gun, you know, the water, the pumper thing. (laughs) I said, with the pack sack and everything. Lucy bought the water gun on her lunch break. For the rest of the day, she would spray people outside. The ship would leave and I would, you know, play with the gun and spray them. We had fun. We really had fun. Toward the end of the day, somebody told Lucy about a new guy working on the folders. That new guy was Jerry. So I start walking toward the folders. Then I turn around and I see somebody in the warehouse that I didn't know. So I'm pretty far and, you know, I said, hey. So he turned around. I said, "Uh, are you the new guy uh, working on the folder? He goes, yeah. And I had just pumped the the water thing there. I said, welcome. And I started to spray him, but on his shoes, because I didn't want to spray his, you know, because he had to work. That was the first time we met. What a weird symbol. I guess I just think people will make a connection between the water gun and the real gun. Now that you mention it, I never uh, thought about that. Yeah, it's true. Eh? It's That's the way we met and that's the way we parted. Lucy Paquette and Jerry Madere were together for 13 years. They lived in rural Canada. People called them lovebirds, until the fall of 2010, when she shot and killed him. There's not a lot of murders in uh, Lanark County. People will talk about it for years and years if it's a small place like that. Neville Hunt was a reporter who covered the story for the local paper. Traffic fatalities happen, but murder is is pretty well unheard of. The circumstances of you know a family family member killing each other, uh, guns being involved, that sort of thing is it's so unusual that we, we knew it would be uh, an important story. Inside Ottawa Valley, typically covered stories like the Salvation Army Christmas tree going up, so this was like being thrust into a big city tabloid story. The details of Jerry's death were gruesome. He was sitting in a chair at his at the computer or something, and uh, with his back to the door when he was shot, and it was right into the head, I guess. So Lucy had like brain matter on her and stuff like that. Uh, it's kind of scary, I guess, to anybody who their partner could so suddenly uh, change that way or act that way. Neville Hunt reported on the preliminary hearing. That's where a court decides if there's enough evidence to move forward with the trial. Lucy was being accused of first-degree murder. So at the end of our call, I wasn't expecting Neville to say this. So, you, so you'll, be, you'll be speaking with her in the future? Yeah. 
uh, yeah, she's trying to get back on her feet, but it's not easy, as you can imagine. Well, I wish her the best. I'm Talia Picasas, and this is First Day Back, a podcast about trying to get your life back after an event that changes you. I'm a documentary filmmaker, and I started this podcast two years ago. Season one was about me trying to restart my career after having kids. A first day back is different from a first day at something. With a first day, you're trying something new. With a first day back, you're trying to return to some semblance of your old life, except you're not the same person anymore. This happens to most of us at some point in our lives, in small ways like coming back from college, and big ways like after an accident. First Day Back is about those experiences. It's not a spoiler to tell you that what happened between Lucy and Jerry was a tragedy. The crime sits in the middle of Lucy's life, like a chasm with a lot of dark corners. On one side of it is before, and on the other side, not one thing is the same. Lucy served five years of a seven-year sentence for killing her husband. I've been following her for more than a year as she's moved from prison into a transition house. That's where she lives now, under the conditions of her parole. In the time I've spent with her, her story has gone in a lot of directions I did not see coming. And sometimes it's been downright strange. Lucy is an ordinary person, but she's a not-so-ordinary criminal. I expected someone coming out of jail to be hardened, maybe have some kind of edge about them. But Lucy surprises me. She has some chips, no popcorn. She can go on about the price of yogurt drinks or how much homework her grandson should be doing. And then she'll jump into some pretty esoteric stuff, like a revealing dream about her childhood or the hidden meaning of a Scrabble tile she found on the floor. She also loves to get a laugh. Testing, testing, testing. Hello out there. Can you hear me? Hello, hello, hello. <laughs> My name is Lucy. I'm 52, but I look 32. Ha, ha, ha. That's about it. Lucy is five foot four and has short blonde hair. If you squint, she could be any heavyset woman in her 50s. The greeter at Walmart, the receptionist at a dentist's office, your aunt. She was born and raised in Quebec, so her first language is French. Lucy is quick to smile, but when she isn't smiling, her face falls, as if a puppeteer has let go of the strings. Picture album and... Here we are looking at her old pictures one afternoon. That's Jerry when he was younger. Yeah. He's like five years old? Mm, I'm not sure if he's five. Because I gave uh, all his pictures, I gave it back to his mom. And But I had a few pictures that I still have, but I know she has a copy of this one. Mm-hmm. But I'm not allowed to uh, communicate with the family, so yeah. like that one, well, I'm, I guess I'm going to keep. But I know she has- What you need to know about Lucy and Jerry's life before is that they seem to have the perfect relationship. They are one of those couples who have been together for years, but look at each other all starry-eyed, like they just met. 
they worked at the printing factory together. One time, Lucy told me, she and Jerry were each on their machines, flirty waving at each other from across the floor. This girl came over and she said, how long have you been together? I said, 10 years. She goes, 10, oh, 10 months? I said, no, 10 years. She goes, 10 years? Oh my God, it looks like it's 10 months. <laughs> we never fought. <laughs> you never fought? Every couple fights? No. You never fought? Never. Lucy might not be the most credible source at this point. She knows that. I have a um, paper. Should I take it out? What is it? It's a, a news. It went in the newspaper about talking about Jerry and I. Sure. She digs okay. around in a closet in her tiny room in the transition house where we're sitting to pull out an article from a newspaper. It was a newspaper clipping. Oh, here it is. So this is actually the newspaper article yeah. about him being found dead at home. Yeah. They hadn't figured out what happened yet, it looks no. like. The murder of Gerald Madère has shocked friends and neighbors who describe him and Lucie Paquette, his partner of 13 years, as lovebirds who couldn't get along without each other. Yeah. Another place she says, uh, they were a very loving couple, she said. That was her best friend. Oh, now I'm going to cry. Yeah, because it's true. We were best friends. Lanark County, where Lucy and Jerry lived, is an area with pickup trucks and wide open fields. There are farms and some small towns clustered around big box stores. There aren't a ton of jobs. Many people commute long distances. When Lucy and Jerry met, she was married to her first husband, and so initially, she barely noticed him. Jerry was just a co-worker. He was a bit chubby, you know. He was short, same height as me. So he, I wasn't physically attracted to him at all, and not at the beginning. Jerry had been a bachelor most of his life. In photos, even though he was short, he looks like a badass uncle. He drove a Harley, he wore a leather jacket, and he had shaggy blonde hair and a mustache. Me and my boyfriend at the time, I would say, we call him Mini Hulk Hogan. <laughs> That's Sandra, Lucy's adult daughter from her first marriage. She met Jerry when she was a teenager. He's always a very nice and funny, um, straight to the point. But he was very nice. That's the one word that comes up over and over when people describe Jerry. Nice. Maybe it's that thing that happens when somebody dies. People's more positive memories take over. But it sounds convincing. Jerry was the most lovable, happy, outgoing. outgoing That's Louise Mitchell and her husband Don, who are good friends with Lucy and Jerry. I went to speak with them at their home in Lanark County. The moment you see him, you could not help yourself but love him. He was, he was like our son. Lucy and her first husband eventually split up. She was 33, a single mom with a teenage daughter. She needed help moving out of the house she shared with her ex. Jerry volunteered. He was really charming, you know, opening the doors and things like that. We went out for supper and I was like, wow, they still exist? <laughs> you know, he was really charming. I was really surprised because his, I don't know, sometimes you judge a person by the look. And he didn't look like that. He didn't look like a guy that would open the door and, you know, things like that. And one thing led to another and we started dating. 
From that point on, the two were pretty much inseparable. It was like, once they got together, they couldn't believe their luck. Two years into their relationship, they bought a house in the countryside, right on the border of Ontario and Quebec. Their house was next door to the Mitchells. They set up a life for themselves that was routine and, frankly, completely ordinary. So how could things have gone so incredibly wrong? More after the break. First Day Back is sponsored this week by Audible. I love books, but between this show and everything else I've got going on, it's really hard to find the time to read. Audible makes finding time for your favorite books really easy. With apps on all the major platforms, you can download and listen to books right on your phone. Plus, they've got this neat thing called the Great Listen Guarantee. If you decide you don't like an audiobook you've purchased on Audible, you can exchange it for another one, no questions asked, at any time. That's pretty awesome. Audible is perfect if you don't know when to fit in the time to read. I'm a big walker. I walk everywhere. And I love to listen to stuff while I walk. You can't make more time, but you can make the most of it with Audible. As a First Day Back listener, you can get a free Audible trial and check it out for yourself. Just go to audible.com first. That's audible.com first. Thanks again to Audible for sponsoring the show. This episode of First Day Back is also sponsored by ZipRecruiter. Are you hiring? Do you know where to post your job to find the best candidates? If you want to find the perfect person, you need to post your job on all the top job sites. And now you can. With ZipRecruiter.com, you can post your job to over 200 job sites, including social media networks like Facebook and Twitter, all with a single click. You can quickly screen candidates, rate them, and hire the right person fast. ZipRecruiter has a resume database with over 9 million resumes. You can filter for location or specific experience and then invite people to apply for your job. And if you run into any issues, don't worry. ZipRecruiter's friendly and human support staff is ready to help. Find out why ZipRecruiter is the number one rated job search app for both Android and iPhone. First Day Back listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free by going to ZipRecruiter.com firstday that's ZipRecruiter.com slash first day. One last thing before we get back to the show. If you're listening on the NPR One app and you want to hear the rest of the season, there's a way you can be sure to get the rest of the episodes. Take out your phone. You see that little light bulb marked interesting? It's in the middle of the screen. If you like the show, touch that little light bulb. Then you won't miss out on the rest of season two. That's it. Super simple. Thanks. And now here's First Day Back. After meeting at the printing factory where they worked, Lucy and Jerry eventually bought a house together in rural Ontario and settled into a domestic routine. They had barbecues with friends, they swam in their saltwater pool, they had a Wii and played Dance Dance Revolution. And they had a golden retriever named Duke. And the cat was Hazard, so we had the Duke and Hazard. Oh, the Dukes of Hazard. Yeah. Wah, wah. Wah, 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 wah. <laughs> there was another way they spent their time. They were outdoorsy, and they hunted. The day before Jerry was killed, deer season had just ended, 
Lucy and Jerry had gone hunting one last time. Usually, at the end of a hunt, they would empty their guns and put them away. So I told Jerry the day before, I said, oh, don't worry, I'll put the guns away. But the next day, I didn't do it. I didn't start my day putting the guns away. I started my day starting the coffee machine and opening the computer. Lucy had recently been laid off from the printing factory, but Jerry was still working. He was going to put in some overtime and told Lucy he'd probably be back around 8.30 that evening. I stayed in my PJs all day. It was a beautiful day that day. It was beautiful. Jerry checked in with Lucy a couple of hours later to let her know he'd be coming home early. He told her he'd pick up beer on the way. Lucy and Jerry drank a lot of beer and often. According to Lucy, they had gradually become alcoholics. They had gone from one or two after work to sometimes an entire case of beer in a day. The day before, we ran out of beer. So I was going to go on the Quebec side, grab some beer and come back because it's cheaper on the Quebec side. So when he came in, he had a beer in his hand and we started talking and, uh, and we started drinking and drinking. And um... Here's what Lucy remembers about the rest of the night. I remember telling Jerry that um, I was going to change because I had my PJs were not long pants. We were going to make a bonfire because we had a lot of branches. So I started cooking. I had some hamburger helper. I called my mom. So I remember having the blankets in my hand. I know. I remember I'm outside. I remember seeing the fire. She remembers all those mundane details about the day. What she doesn't remember is killing Jerry. It's like you fall asleep during a movie. You saw the beginning of the movie and you saw the end. It's like, yeah, but what about the middle, you know? What police and prosecutors were able to piece together is that Jerry was sitting at his computer playing online poker and was shot in the side of the head from several feet away with one of the couple's hunting rifles. Only one shot was fired, and Lucy was the only other person in the house. Lucy didn't move Jerry's body. It sat at the computer while Jerry's poker partner sent messages asking why he wasn't playing his hand. Lucy called 911. Remember the 911 call? No, I don't remember the 911 call. Lucy had to give me her permission to hear the tape of her 911 call. She did, but on the condition that I not use it here. The call was a dysfunctional 15-minute conversation with the dispatcher, where she asked for an ambulance, repeatedly screamed, whispered to herself, cried, and most disturbingly spoke to Jerry as though he were alive. According to her lawyers, who saw photos of the scene, the top part of Jerry's head was almost entirely blown off. There couldn't be any doubt he was dead. When Lucy thinks about what that scene must have been like, she can rationalize not remembering. So I always said that I'm lucky in my bad luck because I don't remember what happened. Investigators worked backwards from the beer cans at the scene and Jerry's post-mortem blood alcohol analysis to estimate that Lucy and Jerry had had between 8 and 10 beers each. That amount of booze would make almost anyone drunk. Lucy says she was so drunk she doesn't remember anything about how a gun was fired 
and the love of her life was killed. If you're like me, you're probably thinking, what? Most likely, Lucy was having a blackout brought on by her drinking, like a drunken night where you wake up the next day and say, oh shit, what did I do? Except when Lucy sobered up, she came to in the most extreme, unforgiving version of, oh shit, what did I do? I had never really considered what was happening inside the brain during a blackout, like how and why you don't remember things when you're drunk. So I started researching it. It turns out that your whole life, everything that happens to you is woven together into your own personal narrative by the part of the brain called the hippocampus. If you anesthetize the hippocampus with alcohol, in effect, you stop that process. That's Dr. George Kube, the director of the National Institute on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism in the U.S. Dr. Kube says during a blackout, when your brain should be registering information, it isn't. To put it in a very simple terms, when you save a file on your computer, if you don't hit the save button, it, it's gone. This is not the same as being passed out drunk where a person gets so drunk they fall asleep or fall unconscious. A person experiencing a blackout can walk and talk, and for all intents and purposes, seem normal, or normal but drunk. The day after the previous evening office party, you come into the office and everybody's smirking and looking at the floor when you walk by, and you don't know why, but you were dancing on the table doing some unseemly things or something, and you don't remember any of it. Before that night, Lucy and Jerry often drank enough to get to the point of not remembering. You know, I couldn't even remember how many drinks I had until you count the empty ones, you know. I woke up in my bed, I was okay, you know. What happened last night? Oh, well, you know. Jerry would tell me if he would remember, but as I was in my bed, I was okay. On the night that Lucy shot Jerry... There is nobody to tell Lucy what happened. So to this day, it's hard to... Because um, I want the missing part. I want to put it in, you know? And it's okay, this is what happened. You know, so it's hard for me to try and piece the puzzle together because there's a big, big puzzle, but there's so many pieces missing. And it's not going to change nothing. You know, it's not going to change. It's not going to bring Jerry back. It's not going to give me more time. It's not going to give me less time. It's not, you know, but I just need that missing part. I need a story. I had always thought that memory worked like the flight data recorder on an airplane, storing everything inside the black box even if it might be hard to find. If the brain was like that, those memories would be there somewhere. Lucy just has to try harder to access them. And I was trying to, like, not brainwash myself, but say, okay, Lucy, this is what happened. This is what happened, you know, try to remember. And um, I couldn't remember, and I said, maybe it's this, you know. I could have been doing this, you know, because this is what I was supposed to do. It's simple but devastating logic. If a memory is not stored, it cannot be retrieved. There's no airplane black box sitting at the bottom of the sea. Or put it another way, 
If there is, Lucy could swim for days to get to it. But when she opens it, there's nothing inside. You want to know what happened? Uh, there's, in a way, also, nobody knows. There's nobody actually who knows. It's not like somebody has the key. It's hard. Well, somebody knows, and I asked him to show me, but he went. <laughs> who knows? Jerry knows. You know, sometimes I go to sleep and I'm there, oh, why don't you go in my head and show me, you know? Help me remember or... But it's not happening. Lucy's life went from normal to an emotional horror movie in one disastrous moment of her own making. There's no way she could be prepared for what would come next. How will Lucy come back from the worst thing she's ever done when she doesn't even remember doing it? Next time on First Day Back. I had done a number of other murder cases, but not one where it was in in a final analysis um, never fully understood. And that, to that extent, it was unusual. She was so confused about whether he was alive or dead or if something had happened to him. And I'm there. Was he there? I can't say he wasn't there. I don't remember him. And they all look alike. So, And I don't remember the guy sitting in front of me if he was there or not. I don't remember him. So I'm there. What's going on here? A sharpshooter, really, when it, literally when it comes to guns, she, has a, she had a really good aim and she was known in the hunting community. It just seems almost like, you know, listening to the script of a movie. It's not, it's hardly believable as you're, as you're hearing it. First Day Back is produced by Mark George and me, Tali Abacassis. The show was scored and mixed by David Herman. Our executive producer is Dave Shaw. We got help on this episode from Rob McGinley-Myers, Bird Pinkerton, and Tori Marlin. Special thanks to The Herd, Bryony Baxter, David Mizraki, and Ellen Weiss, Peter Clowney, Greta Cohn, and Chris Bannon. Season 2 of First Day Back is produced in collaboration with EW Scripps and Stitcher. You can find First Day Back on all the great podcast apps, including Stitcher. If you listen on iTunes, please take a moment to rate and review the show. It helps other people find First Day Back. You can also find us on Facebook. Just search for First Day Back Podcast. For more information, visit our website at firstdaybackpodcast.com. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Stitcher. 